He's the funniest robot science ever made. Hello, you're on the air with Uncle Clunk. Oh, I get it. You're doing your impression of a telephone ringing. Are you some kind of nut? <laughs> I'd say you were more some kind of fruit, actually. <laughs> I'm beautiful, but you still have appeal. The amazing Uncle Cluck, only at Showbiz. Guess I'm too smart for the house. <laughs> Our nervous side, sometimes uh, we are too sensitive about defilement or elegance or sense of beauty of such aesthetic side. And uh, sometimes we are tired of it. And uh, we need sometimes a sudden explosion uh, to, make, to make us free from it. And, uh, for super cool yeah no problem okay yeah and so just like in advance like you 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 have like ndas and stuff that you signed so we can't name names what what should i address you by should i just call you jack by your first name or like yeah uh it's not exactly ndas it's more just a matter of like keeping it about the characters and not about me. Right. Um, but yeah, Jack is fine. And, and I can talk about, like, you know, not exactly what team I work for or what university I work for, but, you know, I have ways of talking about it that are that are fine. And I can talk about, like, old characters I've done and stuff, too, and just get into like specific things i've done okay yeah this is awesome i'm gonna hit record right now and i guess i'll just like introduce you if that's cool and just kind of like do like a bit of a primer to what we're gonna discuss because i'm just like i'm really interested in like this thing i've been working out called cartoon formalism and about sort of like how (laughs) online persona never really yielded exactly the outcome because if you look at like the history of masks in ancient times you know it's like they were used in religious and spiritual and they were very like ceremonial like they had a physical function that people socially engaged with and so it's like super rare and exciting to talk to somebody who is like one of the sort of last bastions of this i guess you would say like dying 
practice or tradition. And, and I think it's, it's fucking really cool. So thank you so much for sure. doing this. Uh, I'll just hit record one second. Yeah. Okay. So today I have a really exciting guest. This is Jack. Um, I'll just give a bit of a background. Uh, Jack wrote me on Instagram talking a little bit about an episode I did with Brad Phillips, which was about remote viewing and reincarnation. And, you know, there's a lot of like questions about like identity and and shifting bodies and, and stuff like that. And in being able to be outside of yourself while perceiving potentially yourself and others. And so he wrote me saying, I'm a literal mascot. (laughs) And I just was like fascinated by that. I actually sent it to Brad and he was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I was like, yeah, I know. Like, this is perfect. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about online persona, anonymity. uh, But there is this kind of like archaic practice that goes back to mask wearing and, uh, you know, in ancient civilizations that had to do with magical occurrences, socializing. Um, and it, it's cool to sort of ground that in a form. And I just wanted to talk to Jack a little bit about that and about his experience as a literal mascot for a sports team and his career is doing that. So yeah, thanks for thanks for being here. How you doing? No problem, doing well. Cool. So like what is your how did you get into being a mascot? Yeah, so I started in college. I went to James Madison University and when I started freshman year I was in a few different like on-campus clubs, things like that. And I got to the end of the year and I'd made a few new friends, but was still mostly hanging out with kind of my old friends. And I got an email saying, would you like to try out to be the Duke dog? And this is not an email to me. It was just a campus wide thing. So I put in an application for that and there was like a three step, uh, audition process and interview and then I had to prepare a skit and that was the first time I ever put on any mascot head or anything and saw kind of behind the scenes and I said to myself that you know this is the kind of thing just for someone with a lot of school spirit uh so maybe it's not exactly my thing but it should be interesting I'll try it out for a year because I I wound up getting through the audition process and within a year I kind of realized it's not what I thought at all uh it's not just about like cheering for sports or whatever which I was always into sports but um yeah a lot of it is like you said you know the reason I reached out was because of the Brad Phillips episode like stepping into another body and just getting to leave yourself for a while and people see you as this completely different thing in the case I was in in college as uh, the Duke dog, the like big gray furry guy with the crown. 
and you have to like duck when you go through doorways like your body is completely different than the one you're used to because you're gonna like hit your head on stuff if you're not careful and in his case he has a cape so that's like a built-in prop that you're using all the time that i don't normally wear a cape but i had to get pretty used to wearing one for that um but yeah, that's how I got into it was just through college. I wound up doing it for three years there. And in that particular case, I was on a team of a few guys varying between three and five people doing it at a time. So that was a lot of fun getting to figure things out with guys that had more experience than I did and learning some tricks of the trade and picking up influences from different places along the way. Wow. That's super interesting. So it's like when you talk about putting on this large costume, it's like, this is something I, I actually in a recent Cronenberg interview, he talks about, you know, when you transform the body, you transform the experience. So it like, do you get, does it have like a psychological effect on you to basically like don this giant furry, uh, you know, uniform, even if it's for a vocation, like basically like a job, do you get into a certain mind state because you're being perceived as this like, you know, anthropomorphic dog with a crown that's just like giant and jumping around? Yeah, big time. Um, I mean, even my before I became a mascot at college, I remember coming across Duke Dog. It was at a late night breakfast event on campus. And I remember my buddy told me, like, go up and say hi to him. So I like went up and went in for a high five and then took my hand away and then leaned in. So Duke Dog hit me in the face. And then I started screaming like Duke dog attacked me. So even I treat uh, mascots differently, like, and getting to be on the other side of that, I realized how varied the ways are that people treat you. Like I've done a few different characters at this point, some of them well-beloved like Duke dog and uh, another one that I'm currently doing that people like dote on you and they love you and they'll like little kids will look up at you and say he's huge uh when i don't know i guess probably you're standing at about like seven feet uh especially if you're looking out of the mouth that means there's going to be an extra foot on top of you at least with the the rest of the head depending on the head size um but i've done other characters that are not as well beloved that just for whatever reason the organization hasn't done the work in the community to get well known or the character just happens to look scary something like that and people are like a lot more afraid of you and that definitely changes the way you act like part of you wants to start scaring people more and part of you wants to chase them around i mean you know, not necessarily little kids. You don't want to cause permanent mental harm to people and give them trauma. But like if you're on the university campus and there's like 
some college girls walking by and they get a little creeped out. You lean into that stuff and uh, yeah, so you definitely experience a psychological change when you're in when you're in suit because you can do whatever you want. Essentially, you can go through doors that you would never normally walk through as a regular human being. That's super interesting. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it, it kind of comes into question this idea of like, at least to me, um, masks and roles over identities. You know, and I think we're, we've sort of like reached peak identity poisoning at the moment. And I guess I, I was recently reading this Momus interview from 2012 with Marie Calloway, where she brings up, he's, she goes, it says on your Wikipedia page that you're obsessed with identity, which is like funny that somebody would make a Wikipedia page. And, and, and he goes, well, that's actually not true. Uh, he says, I'm actually very bored with identity politics he's more into sort of like games and there's like certain psychological identities that come with role play and masks and, you know, being able to act these out because you don't actually have to know more about the character beyond the roles. Do you feel like that sort of diminishes you a little bit? Like just in terms of like how you're perceived when you're not in character, um, but at the same time, it's like we're also mired in individualism and uh, like all of the sort of pathologies that go with like a sort of like obsession with how we are, how we're, we see ourselves as we're supposed to be perceived. But you're entering a, a prefabricated body, which makes it very, very interesting. Yeah, it definitely does. Um what comes to mind for me and some to play off what you were talking about in the intro as well the role of masks and how that's changed i was at a art museum yesterday and i saw this i don't know how old like 11th century indian indian pig mask that was used in certain rituals to embody uh certain gods they had a few different gods listed and what it could have represented back then and how not just in that but in a lot of Indian art in general it's not viewed as the individual creating the art but as some kind of divine inspiration and I mean obviously as an individual I connected with that but at the same time it's like is that against the point of like using my ego to connect with this thing that's not about that individual even. And yeah, I mean, you hit on something that I think about a fair amount with that kind of thing, because it's not necessarily a God, but I don't know, in some ways it's it's something divine. It's something that was created by a whole collective of people before me and then you put this thing on and people are coming up to you. I don't know, earlier today I had an event at a senior citizen's home and this guy was talking to me, asking me like, were you here last year? And you know, the character was, the mascot was, I wasn't, but you just go, yep, 
I was, and they love hearing it. And they're, you know, because part of them is talking to the individual inside the suit, but I don't know. There's there's some kayfabe that goes along there, and you can't break right. and say no, that was someone else. But that's wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. look, I was reading a little bit about the history of mascots uh, in oh, yeah. terms of sports teams before they became, you know, synonymous with not only sports, but fast food chains, restaurants, uh, you know, basically any kind of brand. And it was basically, from what I can tell, is like animals were initially brought out in the middle of, of sports games and. Uh, as a sort of form of a mascot, like pigs, donkeys, horses, just to basically break up the feel of the game, you know, as a kind of like halftime show. So it wouldn't get so Mm -hmm. monotonous. And I think of that as like, that's basically like the role of the shaman, you know, in a sort of like pre-modern society is to basically come in and, uh, you know, introduce a kind of like, uh, you know, ritualistic flavor to basically like social life so that people could basically go on and keep believing. And it also sparks the imagination. It induces magical thinking, uh, spiritual practices. And it's in, in many ways, it's a sort of a gateway to a kind of like many metaphysical experiences. And I, I think children, when they view cartoons, they feel the same way. I know when I was a kid and I was watching like Flintstones and and El- and Powerpuff Girls and like Johnny Bravo, I definitely felt this like, you know, really sort of like fascinating, enchanted feel. Like it was like, you know, you wake up, you watch cartoons before you go to school and then you go to school and it, it completely changes your temporal experience with your classmates, with your teachers. Uh, with your entire surroundings. So I think the mascot is a, is a very um, important role. You know, you play a very sort of like one of the last social roles in society in a, in a crazy way. And I, I know that sounds like extreme, not to diminish anybody else, but it's also then they're, they're they turn to puppetry and uh, then it, but then it was also like the mascot, I guess, was created as a form of marketing. Like they saw the potential in marketing these three-dimensional anthropomorphized characters um, that could really make their brand identity stand out. And I'm not exactly sure when this came out, but I do know like the word mascot comes from the French etymology of mascot, which means lucky charm. So it's a kind of like... It's like a good luck charm, basically, and and it's uh, and that word is used in French to describe sort of anything that brings good luck to the household. Interesting. I might have read that somewhere. I knew it had its its roots in French, but I couldn't remember exactly that part of it. And that makes sense. Thinking about good luck charm and. I think a lot of luck has to do with, I don't know, a positive mindset. And if you believe certain things will come or you, you know, tend to look at yourself as a lucky person, then you will be probably a luckier person. 
And so these things that make you feel lucky or feel a certain way, like a mascot in today's terms, a mascot that get you feeling like all kinds of positivity, then you will go through the rest of your day with some lingering positivity left with you from that. And something else you were talking about with the early use of mascots being actual animals paraded around the field, that kind of thing. Uh, I can, I can't say what team I work for necessarily, but right now I work in minor league baseball and it's an interesting sport because all of the players are only going to be in your town for a certain number of years. If they're good enough, they're going to be pulled up to the higher level, the pros or a higher level of minor league within two years, kind of maximum. And if they're not good enough to stay in the league, then they're going to let be let go within two years, maximum. So the players aren't, exactly what people feel connected to with minor league baseball. Although there are some exceptions and there's some exceptional players in minor league baseball, but uh, the mindset of where I work is that the baseball is very important. And that is the job of certain people at the park to make the baseball good. But then you know, the other half, roughly, of the people that work there, it's their job to put on a good show and keep people entertained. And coming back, if not for the players, then at least because they know that they're going to have a good time watching what kind of crazy things go down on the field. And your way to do a lot of that, you have some between-inning promotions and things like that. But the avenue for a lot of it is with your mascot and performing skits on the field or other kinds of things. Um, yeah. And that's the end of that train of thought, I guess. Well, it, it's, you know, looking at the sort of like historical choices of a mascot, a lot of the desired qualities, especially for a sports team, when you alluded to you having to play like scarier or like less beloved um, mascots. Mm -hmm. I know that some of them are goofy, like the Spurs coyote has those like big, dumb, googly eyes and is like really cute and funny and does like a lot of somersaults. That's like the San Antonio Spurs team. But yeah, it's also sort of like, a lot of the choices were picked based on like if they personified like a predatory or like fighting spirit, you know, like, so there's like warriors, you know, you think of like the Cleveland Indians, which is, you know, obviously a kind of like race was a kind of racist trope before they changed it to the big C of like the grinning Indian with the big T the big buck teeth and whatnot. But, you know, like people associate, even like the, you know, Washington Redskins, you know, you think of like a Native American warrior who posed this like, you know, like a major threat to sort of like manifest destiny and kind of like Anglo conquest. And yeah. I think about not, that. Not to interrupt, but do you know about their recent mascot reveal? No. Yeah, I've been a fan of them my entire life. Um, 
and they never had a mascot for <laughs> I think pretty obvious reasons. Right. And I'll put it out there that I. It completely... was a horse, right? It they, used to just be they a had horse. an unofficial mascot who was just a guy that dressed up with a headdress and they've done certain things, but they've never had a mascot in like the, the today's use of the word, but they just unveiled last season, major Tutty. who's a big pig, like a big fat pig. Uh, and I don't know. He's pretty crazy looking and you can actually, if you go to the first reveal post and stuff of major Tutty on the Washington commanders Instagram, you can kind of catch his neck. You can see like his neck or his chin in a few of the different shots where he kind of cocks his neck back. And I don't know. It seems like an interesting oh, wow. I choice see him. for the suit or that people aren't catching that kind of thing. But I have hope. I have hope that he's going to be a good one. Uh, <laughs> That's I'd pretty... really like to see him succeed. <laughs> but I, I wonder. Yeah, that's I'm I'm looking at him and he's like a he's like a bro pig. Yeah. <laughs> he's kind of he's kind of broy. He's got a military helmet on. He looks very sort of like neocon. You know, ne- <laughs> neoconservative or something like that. He's I don't know if I like him honestly. And I love pigs. I think they're great. But yeah, there's like a picture of him like dancing in front of like a giant nuclear sort of like uh lockheed martin missile explosion it's like yeah it's like you get rid of one thing and you substitute it for the other it's uh you know they can't seem to get it right the washington football team that's really (laughs) their pr team has it rough i know it's it is really sort of interesting just looking at yeah there's like teams with like unofficial mascots i'm mm-hmm. like just really sort of fascinated what's the worst experience you've had as a mascot and has it like not to pry too deeply but but how is it like in part has have it has it translated over into your like personal life at all or your you know your private experience yeah, uh, the worst experience I've ever had was pretty recent, actually. It was this winter. We do, and a lot of teams do this, and it's a great program. We have a reading program in elementary and a few middle schools around the metropolitan area. And, I mean, we'll travel sometimes an hour and a half to a school to do an assembly where – the the mascot comes out and like acts out a book uh, that we have written or altered from another book to just include our mascot's name and kids flip for it. They love it. And I think it's one of the most special things that they can do. I mean, even from a money-making standpoint, that's kind of how you make a lifelong fan is meeting people at their school, at their homes like around where they live they're like a lot of these kids will remember that kind of thing forever and then when they become parents and adults 
they'll look back and they'll say, oh, I had this great experience when I was a child. I want to give that to my kid. I'll take my kid to a, a game of whatever mascot I had a nice experience with. But that said, there was one school this last year in February that we went to and it was a middle school. So obviously they're going to start feeling like they're too old to interact with the mascot the way they did, you know, even a year earlier, they'll start feeling like they've outgrown it, which you can't blame them. So we changed the assembly for them and we try to do our best to just get them excited to at least read their books so they can get a free ticket to come to a game. But at the end, we're out in, I mean, I don't want to say the middle of nowhere because to them it's somewhere, but it was a really rural area. And I don't know about the funding for this school because it seemed like the teachers kind of just wanted some time where they didn't have to deal with the kids because the teachers talked through our entire assembly and the kids talked through our entire assembly. And when I picked one of the kids to hold up a sign to get this chant going, all the kids booed him because they wanted me to pick them instead. Mm. And I felt really bad about that. And then at the end of the assembly, I was just going to give some high fives to kids as they were leaving the gym, but they started coming up and wanting to take pictures, which is fine and all, but it grew into this fervor and the fervor turned into rage and they started like hitting me in the head and I turned to leave and just go back to my changing room, which was just the gym teacher's office. And I was being mobbed by like 30 kids and my coworker was pulling them off and I tried to shut the door and the kids barricaded themselves against it. And I could see my coworker through the crowd pulling kids off and screaming, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, And then I finally, I didn't want to hurt anyone, but I pressed myself hard enough against the door to keep them out. And whew, that one stuck with me. It was a it was a pretty bad one. But at the same time, I can't exactly blame them because I do my own part to get them riled up. And then when they get a little too riled up, it can it can get a little dangerous. But it's not like I got hurt or anything. But I'd say that's the worst experience I've had with a mascot. As far as spilling into my personal life. If anything, it's just working too much. Sometimes I can get a little exhausted. That's about Mm. the only bad thing that's spilled into my personal life. But I don't know. There's there's just times where I'm doing something or, you know, being mischievous in my personal life (laughs) where I realize, oh, the, the character is becoming me and I am becoming the character whatever it is wow (laughs) that's wow that is fascinating so it's kind of like you don't really get jester's privilege you know because you talked about how you can sort of engage you know in in i guess you know i guess like sort of like benign but more slapsticky 
hands-on kind of ways when you don this outfit. But, you know, like the jester's privilege, you know about that, right? Sure, yeah. Like nobody takes the jester seriously, so the jester can say whatever they want. Without being punished. Uh, right. Yeah, because it doesn't really seem to matter what he says. But, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because like, what if a mascot really could say these truthful things? Now, obviously, people have like used Gritty as this weird mascot for like dirtbag socialism or some like stupid. But it just, you know, when you see that mascot in the cover of like Art Forum, you're just like, mm-hmm. all right, this is fucking ridiculous. And clearly this isn't somebody taking that gesture's privilege, you know, uh, to its logical conclusion, which is to actually speak truths. Um, you know, Martin Luther, you know, he used jest in a, a lot of his crit- criticisms of the Catholic Church. So, you know, in his introduction of the Christian nobility of the German nation, he basically was like, well, I'm just a court jester. I can say whatever I want. And then he, even in text, basically said that monks should break their chastity vows. And, you know, this is kind of why I, like, really sort of like Martin Luther and, and find him to be, which is, why I, one of the many reasons I'm, I'm sympathetic to Protestantism, especially of like the the German sort of like idealist variety, uh, is because it does seem to have that ability to sort of play with things in these different ways because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take itself as like holy, but ultimately it, it kind of is like a Hayoka or a trickster like character. And I'm just, I'm just like really interested. Like, I want to try to fucking be a mascot. Like, I want to jump through a flaming hoop of like fire and fucking, mm. you know, like that just sounds like fun to me. Does it ever get like, do you get like rapture when you're doing it? Um, I'll say one, the one time I really felt like I got lost in the character was uh did you ever see the northman the robert eggers most recent film well it's about uh vikings and viking culture and a lot of it is i don't know it's an interesting there's some interesting scenes where they're taking crazy drugs and acting like animals and the berserkers like worshiping wolves and howling at the moon and things like that and so i went and watched the northman one night and then the next day i had an appearance where we were picking up trash at a local like river spot that a lot of people go to but it's pretty heavily wooded and i didn't actually have they didn't give me gloves or a trash bag or anything to help the trash pick up. So I was kind of just on my own and I wound up running off into the woods and I was uh, feeling some type of way because of the Northman. And I was like calling at people through the woods, making animal sounds, <laughs> not necessarily the sounds <laughs> of the, the animal that I was pretending to be. 
but then they would look over and they'd recognize me as the mascot and they'd be like oh hi what are you doing here and a few of those reactions I'm like okay maybe i maybe i should slow down but yeah as far as as far as rapture goes and kind of losing myself in the character is that what you're referring to yeah uh I feel like it's less that and more like when you're really in the rhythm, it's more like losing yourself in the crowd. And obviously when you're doing crowd work or something at a baseball game, you're leading that crowd in a a chant or whatever it is, or, you know, people have their feelings about the wave, but every now and again, I'll get a wave going. And I think it's more about, yeah, losing yourself in the the mob consciousness than it is losing yourself in the character. And obviously, I I like pretending and, and playing the character, but I'm always making conscious decisions. And, uh, you know, it's fun to play pretend and that kind of thing, but... I don't know that I I experience a, a rapture, so to speak. I guess. <laughs> oh wow, yeah. You know, it's it's kind of funny. I I feel like personally, I privilege these kind of shallow, pre-cut, cartoon esque identities over, I guess, what I would call like the tyranny of midwit tier shit that goes on, where it's like you know, identity has to be this discourse that's psychologically nuanced. And I just like, I just feel like that's so stupid, you know? Like I would much rather see just like a cartoon character, you know, blowing something up in a laboratory. Like I I don't need all of that other stuff. Like we've advanced past the need for that. Like we actually need something that doesn't, you know, that doesn't like exhibit any sort of investigation into what it is. I think I think that's kind of like the power of cartoons right now and like action movies and I've been really sort of into this like seemingly really idiotic stuff and but I do think it's like it's a really nice like respite from a lot of these kind of like more uh didactic ways of like approaching like me and this and that it's like no like it actually doesn't have to be that way at all you know you can just kind of zone out to some fucking looney tunes oh yeah yeah i watched a lot of looney tunes in the last year wow what's your favorite cartoon like individual shorts just like just any cartoon character oh uh I like, um, I, I've watched a lot of Looney Tunes in the last year. I've also watched a lot of the early Fleischer cartoons, Max and Dave Fleischer. Oh. And they had this character, Professor Grampy. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah. He was in a number of Betty Boop cartoons. Right. But he, was also, he was also in, I can't remember the exact name, but it's this Professor Grampy Christmas cartoon. And he comes up on this orphanage 
where all these little kids have these toys that are falling apart and he just like he's laughing maniacally the whole time going <laughs> as he's like tearing the orphanage apart and making toys out of everything in the kitchen and just going berserk um professor grampy is up there uh the looney tunes i like gossamer a lot i really like the cartoon where gossamer is introduced <laughs> i don't remember the name but yeah i've connected with professor grampy he does this walk that's insane where he's kind of bow-legged and he's stomping around and it's really funny to look at it's almost like i mean it's like he's sped up the way his legs move it's like a a spider or a centipede almost but it's just two legs and i don't know i mean the whole mascot thing you are a real life cartoon so I'm glad to talk to someone who understands that without ever doing it because I've definitely taken Professor Grampy style movement and put that into my own performance. Or you talk about action movies. One thing I, I found myself doing a bunch earlier today at the senior living home is have you seen Heat? Oh, yeah. Right? That's like Michael one of my Mandel. favorite. Mo- yeah, that's like one of my favorite movies of all time. Well, Al Pacino does this thing where he goes on the crime scene and he's looking around, taking in the information. He has his hands kind of like in the air, like he's getting ready to conduct a performance or something. And I found myself doing that a bunch uh, because, I don't know, he's got this, it's like, you're in control of your surroundings, I guess. And you're the one directing things. And so I've started doing that when I walk into a room, I'm getting my bearings as a mascot. I'll usually have my hands in the Al Pacino uh, heat uh, position. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, you take, it sounds like we're on similar wavelengths with, uh, what should be meaningful to people is right. <laughs> stuff that doesn't necessarily have a lot of meaning. It's just crazy. <laughs> I love that. I, I love what you just said. That's so fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I My old bandmate, he married Michael Mann's daughter. Their wedding, their pre-wedding party at Michael Mann's house. And it was like, exactly like you would expect it had like not to get too personal but you you know there's like in all those like 80s la sort of like psychosexual thrillers they always have like those offices with like the glass bricks yeah you know like that that was just like everywhere Uh. you know like it literally looked like a michael mann movie and it was just like, man, he lives it. <laughs> yeah, no, he actually lives it. And it's funny because it's like, and I'm like a huge Michael Mann fan. Everything from the soundtracks, like he was a huge, like his soundtracks were a huge influence on like the musical side of this project because he used David Torn mm-hmm. and Terje Reiptel and a lot of these like ECM 
German jazz musicians. Also, um, uh, who else fucking used them? Uh, what's his fucking name? Uh, yeah. Was was really good friends with, uh, uh, what's his fucking name? Oh, Jean-Luc Godard. That's another one mm. who used, he used a lot of ECM stuff in his like post-Marxist 80s period. And that stuff just like really resonates with me. Like it's so nocturnal and weird and ethereal, but grounded in this like, in a, in a kind of like mature way. Like I feel like a lot of like ethereal aesthetics that are like Y2K, like they're very juvenile, you know, the mm -hmm. stuff from like the early 2000s and the 90s. Uh, a lot of that typeface I found out came from like Emigre magazine, which is an amazing typeface magazine. Uh, with a lot of really great theory, I've been I've been super into like aesthetic theory of like typography, which is something I've never gotten into. But I, I have a question. How did you find out about this show? Like, how? Like, it's just kind of random that we met. I just, I never like got to ask you that question. Yeah, uh, my brother was listening to it while he was washing dishes at our house. I live with my brother and his wife, and I was like, "What show is that?" <laughs> I don't remember what episode, but it was probably about a year ago. When I started listening, yeah. Wow. That's super. So are you into like, like, what are your favorite books? Like, what are your, some of like the ideas that you've been really into? Cause I, it's like, no, this is interesting. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. Um, favorite books. Uh, so, I mean, so far this year I read heat too. Uh, oh, I really heat. wanted to read that. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. Uh, are they actually making a Heat Two movie now? I, I saw something about it, but I think they're supposed to be. But like Michael Mann is like, I feel like kind of retired as a director. Semi, I'm not super in the loop, so like, don't quote me on that. But uh... yeah, yeah. Well, either way, I I thought it was interesting that it was released as a book. And not as a movie, but I don't. I don't know if I'm. I'm happy they're making a movie out of it or not, because I feel like they had reason enough to, to just leave it as a book. But yeah, just looking at my bookshelf next to me, I read a lot of science fiction, uh, and fantasy. Um, Philip K. Dick was, like my, my big one as a teenager that, got me into reading, and then from there, you know, into other science fiction and fantasy stuff. Uh, I heard somebody say recently about Philip K. Dick. He was one of the big authors who's writing fiction, but it's not really fiction. Um, let's see. Right now I'm reading this book 
about the last emperor of China, or it's the autobiography <laughs> of the last emperor. It's called From Emperor to Citizen. And that's pretty interesting because he started out, he became the emperor when he was two years old. And then the Republic of China takes over and Chiang Kai-shek is the, or well, Sun Yat-sen is the first president. And then Chiang Kai-shek starts kind of uh, the, the military control. And this emperor Puyi is just along for the ride, basically, and eventually moves to the northeast of China, where he thinks maybe he's going to get his empire back, but that doesn't work out. So then I think he moves to Japan and Russia, and then eventually back to China and just works in the Imperial Gardens. And that's where he writes this book. And it's written basically as a propaganda piece because it had to go through whatever ministry of culture or whatever that the people's Republic of China had. Uh, so that's been an interesting one that I'm reading lately. I feel like a lot of people don't get to hear this kind of perspective and it's like, uh, I don't know, like I'm just like very sort of like bewildered and, uh, I, I don't know, like, I, I personally, you know, I've done a lot of interviews, but this this is one I was, like, really excited to do, you know, honestly. Uh, just because it, it seems so, like, alien and, and in a yeah. weird way. Not to, like, exotify you or, like, you know, deify you in a sort of, like, patronizing way, but just, like, being able to access this experience is increasingly rare because like an example I think of a lot was like eighties hair metal bands. You know, it's like there used to be a kind of distance people had people get into costume, but they would never break that publicly. You would never see like, you know, kiss like in costume, just like down at the bar or whatever, you know what I yeah. mean? Just like, you know, knocking back a few beers, you know, Gene Simmons and his like uh, demon face or like space ace. You, you would just never see something like that because there was a kind of like separation between the persona and the character that was coupled with the music and the performance versus, you know, the kind of pedestrian thing of just being a, an average guy. But now it's so fucking weird with like all of this discourse around like micro celebrities and, you know, what does it even mean to be a celebrity? The whole vocation of a celebrity because that lack of distance, because of that access has been sort of like fully deprofessionalized. Same with like the artistic practice itself. You know, it's 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 all become deprofessionalized. So to have that kind of like split between you in a costume, you as a person that is apart from that, that's like fucking really mind blowing to me. I don't know. Like, it's yeah. just cool. <laughs> and obviously it's an interesting time to talk about this too. And for me to be, I've never done a podcast or anything really public. I did one career day at a middle school but 
I've, I don't really talk about this on social media or anything like that, but there are certain people who are very open about their alias as a mascot off the top of my head. I know the guy who does the Indianapolis Colts mascot, whose name is blue. He has a high school program where it's a, it's more of a motivational speaking program. I'm not sure it's actually tied to really much of what they do at the stadium or anything, but he comes in suit and then they lead up to him speaking out of the suit into a microphone. And I don't know, there's videos of it on YouTube. It's interesting. And that's when people are like, what? Why are you? Oh, he's talking. He's like, because it's all kayfabe, right? So he's broken the kayfabe at that point. And then he takes off the head and he's wearing a Deadpool mask underneath it. So there's still some level of like, I'm not going to dismantle this whole thing in front of you. But then he goes behind a screen, gets undressed, comes back out and talks all about how he used to be. I think he went to Auburn. He was Aubie the Tiger and then made his way to the NFL and does blue for the Colts now. And Uh. there's one other team, I think maybe the Chiefs, the Kansas City Chiefs. He has a similar thing where he takes off the head in front of people as part of a larger performance or a, a program. And I don't know if his is in high school. Wow. I think I've seen that before, but that's okay. That's so wrong. I think that's yeah. bad. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. People have their different opinions. I think that maybe it's coming from a good place because they want people to know about like, I don't know. I have kids come up to me and say not just like i want to be you know this character someday they say i want to be a mascot one day and i have no way of telling them how to do it and it's such a closed off thing it's very mysterious Mm. and for some part of it i think that's a good thing but on the other hand i wish that people that had a desire to know how to get into this kind of thing actually could find that information somewhere. So I think maybe that's where it's coming from because I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are not very good at the, the craft of it. Mm. And I feel like if you open it up a little more, you're going to get better talent overall. Right. And it's been so shut down for a long time since you know, modern mascotting really became a thing like in the NBA in the 80s and 90s. That's like with Benny the Bull. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that's super interesting. I think a lot about the possibility that people could start creating their own mascots. Like I would like to see like a, a whole artistic renaissance where people's projects are sort of to depersonify the project, like a, a big influence on me has always been the band Gorillaz.
Yeah, they're like that cartoon band, Damon Albarn from Blur. Uh, he started, and I just love this idea that instead of performing, you had this giant screen and you performed behind the screen, but it was like these cartoon characters performing it for you. And when I interviewed Lawrence from Felt, he was like, that's what I always wanted to do with Denim is like, I don't want to be perceived. Like, I just want... I wanted to all be cartoon characters. And I was always really fascinated by the gorillas. I always thought like, wow, this is like when I was 13 when that debut debut album came out. I was like, man, this is the coolest fucking thing to me. And they've got great songs too. Like Melancholy Hill is amazing. You know, they're still good, even though everybody knows who they are. It's just like, I'm just so into that. Like, I think that would save the world. I really believe that. That sounds crazy, but if we just had more mascots and cartoons running around, like that would just, it would just boost morale. Like we really need a revival of like atomic age Gucci architecture too. We need like protruding, obtuse uh, things that just like, Everything is so sterile, even in fashion. It's like the, it, like the the levels of formalism have just like, it's just so nihilistic, you know. So I'm really committed. I'm just doing a new clothing line that's all about. It's like cartoony clothes with like googly eyes on everything, and I just want people to have fun again. You know, it's I, I don't know. That was kind of a a crazy long winded rant, but I'm like. I'm really fired up right now, you know, just yeah. sorry, but yeah, that's uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I mean, obviously I'm already doing it. I'm doing it. Yeah, you're, do- you're doing it. But, that's- but, but there's a lot of times where I feel confined because the way mascots are now, like you were saying earlier, there are pretty much always, I mean, there's exceptions. There's people who are doing some, kind of cool uh things just with like suits and characters and stuff but they're for the most part the mascots people recognize are tied to a brand mm-hmm. and so in the end like the mascots i do they can't do stuff that feels like it's not ultimately going to make the brand money uh right they can't they they don't they don't have values for themselves and that kind of thing and i i've had certain ideas of wanting to try out doing some characters on my own but it hasn't come around quite yet i don't know you get the question a lot of like am i a furry and so maybe that's why 
some people feel like they don't want to put on a big furry suit is because they have preconceived notions about what that means. And, you know, I support furries and the furry community, but (laughs) I personally am not a furry. I just like putting on the suit and like, it means something else. Like we've talked about this whole time, but yeah, it's obviously that's something I've thought about is (laughs) becoming my own mascot and having other characters that I can step into that can go different places and do some more interesting things artistically. Yeah. The oldest masks, you know, at least this is what the natural sciences tell us that were actually discovered. They were dated to 9,000 years old. So this is like a practice that has predated logocentrism by thousands of years. Uh, this notion of concealment, uh, hiding identity, and to what extent the mask was used more, um, less as because logos obviously creates identity. I think this is a question that I've I've at least been thinking a, a little bit about is like if if the mask the 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 figure of the mask predates this, then where does it? Like, what was its function? Maybe it was used for hunting, you know? But that wouldn't make sense because you could still see the body moving and, like, shifting through space. You could see it in, like, canopy or the caves or whatever. Um, So I was always sort of thinking, and then obviously you have Bacchanalia and the Dionysian cults. Uh, They used masks. And I think maybe during that sort of Grecian turn was like sort of your first example of the mask coupled with the kind of like uh, logocentric or or linguistic turn, which imparts the kind of identity that we talk about now or like the changing of roles. You have obviously dialogues, plays uh, that have come out of these movements. the Roman Saturnalia festivals, even Purim in a, the Jewish festivities, which uh, I believe that came out in like the 15th century. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, Native American tribes, you have like the Hopi tribes with uh, the thing I love so much about the Kachina dolls is like they have this whole cosmology of mudheads and a strange like really beautiful deities that describe, you know, naturalistic phenomena and like gateways to different worlds and, and, you know, that exist to sort of demarcate various existing social or spiritual identities. And, you know, there's just, there's so many interesting things about masks to me, you know? Oh yeah. I know what you mean. (laughs) I don't have that same literacy, but part of the reason I wanted to get on here and talk about this is because I knew you'd have some interesting thoughts like that. Well, I mean, the word persona, literally the etymology of persona in ancient Rome means a mask, like Mm -hmm. persona that, that we, you know, so it's like to actually engage with this physically 
it's so much different than just LARPing on the internet as an anonymous character. You know, like there really there's there really is a big fucking difference because you ha- you could trace these lineages through death masks and the and, and you know the the way that they were cast, uh, what they were used for, uh, the folk traditions. I I'm a big fan of uh, Bulgarian New Year's festivities called a uh, Kukuri Serva Fest. They have the coolest fucking outfits. You gotta look this shit up. Do you know about that? The Bulgarian uh, Serva Fest. No. Oh my god, it's so fucking cool. But it's uh, it's a festival. It's a two day celebration where they wear these terrifying monster like masks, and they just look super fucking crazy. Like they've got these big furry things with like huge uh, elephant necks, and they dance around the street. It it it's basically it's. But it's to chase away the evil spirits uh, during the New Year. So you dress like a monster to chase the spirits away to bring in good fortune for the New Year. Uh, but it's a two-day celebration, and uh, it's supposed to take place, uh, I guess, like a few, a couple months before the Eastern Orthodox Easter so that you could basically shift the evil spirits away from from that. Uh, you know, basically, you know, a lot of these Balkan nations have incredibly interesting witchcraft practices. And, you know, Aaron K. Moulton, he brought Romanian witches into his uh, curatorial artistic practice at this Polish castle. Uh, you know, during his Soros exhibition, there's so many ways we can we can play with practical magic. And I feel like art is all about sort of inducing that, which kind of bums me out, like the cynicism that people have in art with like their market reflexivity and their this and their that and their commentary on the gallery space and on capitalism and all this stuff. It's like, where's the magic in that? Like, I just... I just want to see a fucking cartoon character that breaks up the monotony of all of this shit. Like, even as an adult, like, I am still fascinated by Fred Flintstone. You know what I mean? Like, there's Uh something beautiful about Dexter, like the boy genius from Dexter's Laboratory. Like, that's why I think what you do is so cool. I don't know. This is, uh, that was a long rant. (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking at some of the Kukiri, the Serva Festival right now. It's very cool. And there's so many of them, too. Like, and there's a lot that are... It's not even just individual characters, necessarily. There's a bunch in crowds of the same type of creature, I guess, and all dancing. If you look up bulgarian servo festival on google images one of the first ones that comes up is these two guys like booty bumping oh <laughs> it's yeah it's like the booty bumping oxen are what scare away the horrible monsters and scary spirits <laughs> it's true <laughs> yeah this uh he's got a fight on book but this photographer there's a really great servo book uh that came out on fight on, I think the photographer is Aaron Klein. Uh, 
I highly suggest everybody look into this stuff because it is truly wild. You know, uh, it is, it's really, really great stuff. I love the furry ones with like the big, like penis furry cactus heads. Those are some of my favorite. Uh, yeah. You know, like this is the stuff that we need, like in my opinion. And this is kind of where I think a lot of conversations need to, they need to, I don't know, like they need to be a vessels for this or something. That's, that's kind of how I see it, but. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> this conversation's getting me hyped up. I gotta, I gotta start making my own stuff. Get away from, from the brands I'm with and try some, some cooler things outside that are, I don't know. Maybe I'll do a residency in Bulgaria. You should. <laughs> I don't know. No, seriously, man. Yeah. What? Why yeah. not? I mean, it's it's. Uh, there's so many ways. There's so many ways you could take it. Uh, you know. I mean, ah, uh, you just look at every single culture from Melanesia and Micronesia, yeah. and you know the the Arctic coastal indigenous natives, which is, you know, you know, everything from totem poles and the, the woodwork of the Pacific Northwest. It's just, it's truly amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, I was watching some lion dance stuff on YouTube the other day. That ah. too. It's, like, it's crazy how evocative they are. Like these two people inside the same thing and jumping across poles and hanging off them and stuff. So, yeah, cause that's like what she said, taking it out of just LARPing on the internet and like doing something that's going to make your, your body sweat like that alone kind of tells you like, I'm into this. And right. And, and what are your really thoughts? Oh, sorry about that. I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. Wait, just like sorry. I was just going to say, pushing yourself physically has it has a mental effect as you're doing it. I mean, for two years, people were subjected to surgical masks. And that just seems like so zombie like and lifeless. You know, in Los Angeles, you couldn't even hike without one on. And it really kind of like. I feel like that kind of made it so people were like, I have to go mask off now that this, you know, pandemic thing is over and people have been enacting these kind of like fame hungry simulacra of authenticity again. But I'm like, just because you took the mask off doesn't mean you should do that. You should go more cartoonish. You know what I mean? It's like people use baklavas and like these masks that just denote like criminality or whatever just to hinder recognition it, to me that's like that defeats the whole purpose of the mask the mask is supposed to take you to this different spiritual place you know this different sort of magical dimension even in an absolute idealistic way that we're here right now i mean let's say magic isn't real whatever you know we still need that you know it's so it's kind of um 
I guess. Is there anything else you wanted to to, to touch on? My rant is over. I'm I'm done. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh nothing more about the practice of it really. But I'll throw this out there. When you come across a mascot, and I encourage you to go places that have mascots, minor league games, that kind of thing, where the mascot is so important to the game experience. I would, or even just a, a local block party or something, where some some unlucky someone just got thrown in the suit. Uh, I encourage people not to just ask, uh, "Is it hot in there?" <laughs> because the answer will be yes. Or sometimes they'll lie just to stay in character and they'll say no. But I say ask some more interesting questions when you come across mascots in your your daily goings on. Ask something that's going to make them animate their body. I don't know. Even if it's something simple like you know, show me your moves, <laughs> whatever it is. That's That's one thing I want to leave the people with. That's great. Well, yeah, thank you so much for doing this. This is this is a lot of fun. Sure thing. Thanks for thanks for having a, a platform where you can talk freely about this kind of thing. Oh, well, yeah, thank you so that that was great. Oh man, I'm going to I'll stop the recording. Yeah, I really appreciate you doing this by the way. This is a lot of fun. I, I feel like uh this is an important subject and people will get a lot out of it. So I appreciate your experience and, you know, bringing that experience uh, into the, the lives of others. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I think so too. Like, I don't know. I could talk about this stuff all day long. I really took to it. It's, it's fun work. And I mean, I don't know. There's people that are like so much better at, this stuff than I am like I've, I've only been at it for a certain number of years but like I mean I'll be honest with you like it, it was hard not saying